Well, this morning, um, the message is, I saw the Lord, and not necessarily I saw the Lord, but in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he declares about his encounter with God. And I was, with all the things we've been doing in uh, Sunday school, in the book of Hebrews, and also some of the things we've been studying on Wednesday nights, there's a this contrast, there's this understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament, what's going on with the prophet Isaiah, and how that, how that Isaiah is, um, well, the, the king Uzziah, and he's been king for a number of years, and Uzziah is dying. He's dying of leprosy. Now, the reason he has leprosy is, for, if you read the history of, of, of Uzziah, he's kind of a good king, but there were times in which he was overstepped his bounds. And one of those times, he went in to, and fulfilled or tried to do the priestly duty in the tabernacle. And, of course, you can't do that. Not in that time period. So he was stricken with leprosy. And so the, his nation, though, the, the nation of Israel, Uzziah is not a bad guy, but yet the people are falling away from their relationship with God. They are as it were, backsliding, turning away. So whenever we think of the Old Testament and we think of those, this tabernacle, it's a, a large tent and it's divided in, there's one third of it, say, is, is um, two thirds is the outer court and one third is the inner court. And the inner court is a very sacred, holy place. The priest can only go in there once a year and he can only go in there with the blood of a lamb for his own sin and for the sins of the people. So, you know, it's very restrictive. You go in there, into that holy place, access to God. You go in there, you die. <laughs> That's it. There's no alternative. There's nothing. You, you go in there, you're not coming out. So you go in with this sacrifice, and you only do it once a year, and you do it as representing the people. Well, we know that... Um, throughout the history uh, of Israel and the, the encounters that the people have with God. You know, Moses, whenever he goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the, the Ten Commandments, that the, the people of Israel, they kind of had a fence around it because they didn't want to touch the mountain or they were going to die. So there was, there was all of this fear associated with God and how that God was a... While he was, a, he was a God, he was restrictive, and, you know, he had laws, and, and the people had these commandments they were, they were to obey. Well, the people had laws that pointed out their sin, but they had no way for the forgiveness of sin. Now, whenever we look at Isaiah, and I was thinking of um, the songs that we sang, Tabby, <laughs> they, you know, you couldn't have picked out the seraphs. That was in... Uh, it's in our scripture today. Um, holy, holy, holy. That's in the text today. And um, the next one is, what was it? Going to heaven. Um, pardon? Amazing grace. You know, then that's about Stephen. And talking about Stephen today. So all three hit the, the, the um, text that we are looking at. So in the year that King Uzziah died, chapter 6, verse 1, <clears throat> In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah, as we said, he's kind of a good guy. But why is it that 
Isaiah, this, is this just a marker? You know, like, well, the king died this year, and that's the year I had this wonderful experience with God, okay? Well, some think that Uzziah was related to Isaiah. Uh, you know, some were, some, I don't want to say close relation, but they were related. Some feel that Isaiah really looked up to Uzziah the king, you know, he, you know, he looked up to him as a man and, and as a leader. And whenever Uzziah died, Isaiah was left with this vacancy, this like, what am I going to do now? But Isaiah was already a prophet. We already have some of his writings and declarations from God in the first few chapters. But when Uzziah dies, Isaiah says, I saw the master, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high exalted, and the train of his robes filled the temple. So he has this trans, <laughs> transportation, trans, he's transported. Whether physically or spiritually, he is taken right into the very throne room of God. Now, <laughs> we have no way of understanding how glorious, how powerful, how moving this is. I mean, there is nothing like it in, in all of our technological breakthroughs. We can't create this sense of awe and holiness and, and wonder and power. And so Isaiah finds himself in the very throne room of God. And God is so highly exalted in this place that they are at. He's sitting high upon a throne. And the train of his robes, you know, you've seen some of these weddings. I remember... Um, Princess Diane, when she was, you know, when her, she was walking down the aisle of the church, and man, that, uh, that train of her gown filled pew to pew, you know, <laughs> just behind her, and they had this, this image of it on camera. I can still picture it in my mind. You know, her, her train filled uh, the pews, <laughs> Before, you know, between the aisle, between the pews. Well, here we have Isaiah is saying, God's glory in his train, his role, the majesty of, his, of who he is, just fills the whole temple. It's like his glorious, glorious person. <clears throat> his train filled the temple. Angels, the seraphs, hover over him, hover above God. So here are these angels hovering over God, and they're seraphs. And seraph means to burn. You know, it's a word from burn. So they were... A, f a blaze in holiness. You know, if you take um, metal and you heat it and you boil metal, what happens? The impurities come to the, the top and you scrape off the impurities and you have this purity of the metal. Well, these seraphs represent the purity, the holiness of God. They are ablaze with the holiness of God and the, and the, and the presence of God. And they hover above God. And it says, each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. So here are these divine, holy beings, angels, that they have to shelter themselves, they have to shelter their eyes from the glory of God, from the power of the majesty on high. They have to cover their eyes. And it says, uh, with two, they um, covered their face, and with two, their feet. And with two, they flew. And they called back and forth one to another. So here they are, these, these glorious beings, as it were, hovering, as it were, around the throne of God. And they're saying back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy 
is the God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. So Isaiah is like, wow, look at this. You know, this majesty, this power, this creator of heaven and earth, this glory beyond glory, this, this power beyond and majesty beyond imagination. He sees this and he's like, wow. And then it says the foundation temples at the sound of the angels' voices. Um, the, the foundation trembled at the sound of the angel voices. So when these angels are cry, uh, saying back and forth, holy, 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 that the holiness of God and the power of God, the whole place of heaven shakes. <laughs> it's this place of heaven is shaking at the sound of their voices. <laughs> these seraphs, these angels who are burning aflame with the holiness of God. And the whole place is shaking with the power and the authority that is in that place. And the whole house was filled with smoke as I and and, and, and he's saying, the whole, this whole place is, there's this, and the smoke was like, in the Old Testament, it represented the smoke ascending to heaven, was the, the, as it were, the prayers of people ascending in praise to God. So here, here is this praise of, of, of the earth and the praise of the angels and all that, ascending into heaven as it were, the smoke. And then he says, doom, it's doomsday. <laughs> It's all over. He suddenly realizes what he's seeing and where he's at. It's like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm before God. You know, he was taken up with the glory, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, this is God. And he falls on his face. He says, I'm as good as dead. This, it's all over for me. I'm, I'm here in the presence of God and I recognize what? My sinfulness. He says, every word I've ever spoken is tainted. Now, this is a guy who's already, in five chapters, five chapters prior to this chapter, spoken about God and about brought, brought the message of God to the people. But what Isaiah is understanding is that when we come before God, we don't come as equals. <laughs> we come only in the authority that Christ has given us. You see, Isaiah doesn't have Christ. He doesn't have Jesus as a Savior. Jesus hasn't come as the Messiah yet. So they are, in the Old Testament, they are under this covering of the blood of animals and Isaiah sees himself as in the presence of God as if I don't I can't live here I don't belong here I'm not good enough to be here okay I, I, I should I won't be alive long if I'm in God's presence and that's the opposite of where we're at you see when Jesus died his body and blood his body is the, ten, the entryway, the, the veil through which we pass. We studied this in Sunday school. The veil the, in the tabernacle that separated the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the priests only went in once a year. While the veil was there, and it separated these two uh, rooms 
in this, in this temple. And when Jesus died, that veil was ripped in half. People weren't allowed into the presence of God. But in Christ, we have free access to the presence of God. So here, Isaiah is letting us know he's as good as dead. Without God's mercy, without God's grace, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive in the presence of God. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I, wa- I, I live with and talk, talk the same way, using words that corrupt and decay or desecrate. He understands that they, their language, their language betrays their devotion to God. You see, that's why we have to watch what we say. We have to watch how we say it. Because our language can betray our devotion and our faith. Now, and the other side of it is, our language can speak our faith and our belief of what God is going to do. I believe that God is going to do good in our life. That's a promise that he's given to us. I believe that God will never leave me nor forsake me. That's a promise. You see, I'm speaking God's word. I believe that I am healed. I believe that God will prepare a place for, uh, a way for me. You see, all of these things, I believe that God will provide for my soul and for my, for my physical being and for my family. I believe that God will protect me and protect my family. I believe that the blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. This is the word of God. And we speak it, and it brings great effect and great promise to our life. <laughs> I, was, I get some of my best illustrations at Perkins. <laughs> and I was sitting there this week. Rhonda was getting her hair done, and I had nothing to do but go to Perkins. So <laughs> I went to Perkins. And as I was sitting there, these people were interviewing and talking. There's about six Six of them there, maybe eight. And the one lady, and I I think they were trying to make a decision. I don't know what they, I didn't pay that much attention to what they were talking about. But they were trying to make a decision on, you know, what they were going to do or how they were going to bring this team together and whatever. And the one lady said, well, maybe something to the effect, maybe we can do my daughter. You know, my daughter, whenever she does things, she just goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they all laughed. And I thought, I I looked over and said, that kid's pretty smart. No, I didn't do that. (laughs) But they took what was sacred and was spoken perhaps by a child who maybe is sent to Sunday school or something and knows something about God and about prayer that they didn't. (laughs) You see, we, (laughs) we betray our faith by the thoughts and the intents of our words. Words can corrupt. Words can desecrate. Words can praise. Words can lift people up. (laughs) And, and, And Isaiah here says, And here I've looked God in the face, the King, the God of the angel armies. I've looked God in the face. 
You know, that doesn't happen. No man shall see God and live. Whoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> Isaiah's, he's frightened. <laughs> he's scared to death in the presence of God. Now, it's important that we realize God, Jesus, is king of the angel armies. <laughs> He is leader of, the, of all the armies of heaven. Now, sometimes we get caught up with, uh, well, there's demons and fallen angels and all that kind of stuff. Now, the Bible says that one-third of the angels of heaven rebelled. Okay? One-third of the angels of heaven rebelled. Okay, so how many, that means that there's two to one of the good guys. <laughs> you know, two to one of the good guys? How many times do we focus on the good guys? Two to one. <laughs> and I don't know how many of that. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I couldn't look, if I remember right, it's a third or two-thirds of that one-third. Okay? So if there's a hundred angels, there's more than a hundred. But if there's a hundred, that means there's 33 bad guys. All right, 66 good guys. Of that 33, over half of them are locked up. They're locked up in the pits of hell, awaiting the day that they will be released upon the earth to, just, you know, to wreak havoc. And then, only in God is supreme authority over, the ones, over all of them. He's the one who locked them up. So when we're thinking about the power of God and we're thinking about this situation, Isaiah, he, he finds himself in the very presence of God. Something went wrong in his life. We're assuming. Uzziah dies. And he begins to seek God. He begins to seek after God. And he's looking for God. And he finds him. <laughs> and he realizes that, whoa, <laughs> I'm not as good as I thought I was. And neither are the people that I serve. They're even worse. And one of the angel seraphs flew to me. He held a live coal that he had taken with thong tongs off of the altar. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this coal has touched your lips. Gone your guilt, your sins are wiped out. He went to the altar, the altars of sacrifice, the altars of, of God, and he took the coals and it's where he touched his lips and it was the purifying of the sacrifice. <laughs> and then it says, And then I heard the voice of the master. Whom shall I send? So here we have Isaiah encountering God and God wants to know, he has a question for him. Who am I going to send to take my message to the people? Who will go for me? You see, God has a purpose for our life. Whenever we seek God, we find him. And when we find him, he, he, we, he has a purifying of our heart, our mind, our conscience, that 
He breaks the power of canceled sin. He breaks the power of evil. And we are in his presence. And then he says to us, who will go? Who will go for me? Who will represent me to the people? (laughs) I spoke up. This is Isaiah. I'll go. Send me, Lord. (laughs) Send me. So there is this call that came to Isaiah at this moment of confusion and frustration and the death of uh, Uzziah and whether it's Uzziah's death or whatever, whether it's a marker or not, for whatever reason, he finds himself in the very throne room of God. And Isaiah is given a very difficult mission. (laughs) Do you know what his mission is? He had to tell the people who believed they were blessed by God that instead God was going to destroy them because of their disobedience and sin. (laughs) Here the people were estranged from God, worshiping idols, doing what they wanted, you know, know, false gods, doing everything, and they figured, well, if God's going to take care of us, we're his children. (laughs) And God was telling Isaiah, you have to tell them that's not true. And Isaiah, he ministered a number of years, and then they killed him. (laughs) Great reward for the guy, right? (laughs) So we find that Isaiah is in this place where he finds out that he's got to be a servant of God, and he's got to... um, um, Go back and tell the people about God. But his, we look at this and we find that he himself is changed because of that encounter in heaven. Now I want to move to another encounter. And it's the encounter of Stephen. Now, in, uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 and through 56, Stephen is a believer in Jesus Christ. Stephen has just told the Sanhedrin and the, the, the Jewish council, he's told them about how, that in the, how Abraham was called and how that, uh, that the, the sacrificial system was in place and how that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah and how that the Messiah had come to fulfill and do away with all the Old Testament sacrifices and the priests and the temple and all, and all those types of things. And the people didn't want to hear it. They became so upset with Stephen, (laughs) verse 54, at that point they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. (laughs) But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God. Now, We read about Isaiah, and he goes into the temple of God, and he sees the glory of God, and he falls on his face, and he says, woe is me, I'm undone, okay? I'm 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 as good as dead. Well, here we have Stephen, and these people are ravaging on him. They're going to kill him. They're just pulling at him, beating him. They're going to take him out and stone him. And it says that Stephen had 
He only had eyes for God. Hmm. When Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. When Stephen is proclaiming this message, he only has eyes for God. <laughs> See, that's the challenge in our life. Who are we looking for? Do we have eyes for God? Whom he saw in all his glory. He saw in all his glory. High and lifted up on the throne. And his robe, his train filled the temple. The seraphs were say, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and Stephen doesn't fall on his face and say, woe is me. He says he saw Jesus standing at his side. He said, I see heaven. I, he only had eyes for God. He says, I see heaven. <laughs> there, and it's opened wide. And I see the Son of Man standing at God's side. I see Jesus standing beside the Father. That's a different picture than Isaiah. Because there has been a sacrifice that will cancel out all sin that will forgive all sin and break the power and the bondage of sin. Stephen doesn't say, woe is me, I've sinned. He's already had his sins forgiven. <laughs> he, issues, he ushers into the very, he sees the very throne room of God. And he says, in, in verse 57, yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. They didn't want to hear his words. They didn't want to hear him say, I see God, I see Jesus. They didn't want to hear it. They're screaming and yelling at him. Now in full stampede. <laughs> it's quite a word, isn't it? A stampede of people. You know, the Westerns, you have a stampede of cattle or horses and it just tramples over people. Well, here you have a stampede of people that are drowning out the voice of Stephen. They dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took their coats off and asked a young man named Saul to watch. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. You see, he saw God. He saw Jesus there at the right hand of the Father, and he sees something that he, he doesn't go, woe is me. He said, Jesus, I'm coming home. <laughs> You know, I'm not worried about them killing me because I know where I'm going. The glory of God was there and everything was there, but Stephen was, he saw Jesus. And it says that they knelt, then he knelt down. Okay, they're throwing rocks at him. They're, they've stampeded over him. They've drug him out. And he says, Master, Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down and praying, he says, Jesus, Master, don't blame them for this sin. <laughs> you see, when we seek for God and we seek after God, 
the focus changes from us to him. This is what happens with Stephen. He sees God and the focus is not him, but on the mercy of God for these people who are trying to destroy him, who will kill him. And we have this understanding that God is with us and we are forgiven. Heaven is our home. Nothing can separate us from God and we are one with him. And it says, his last words, Master, don't blame them for this sin. And then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I will come right in and sit down to supper with you. <laughs> this is a whole different picture than the Old Testament and the priest taking the blood into the veil and behind the veil and knocking, you know, and if, he's, if he has sin in his life, he's, you know, he dies. If you touch the ark, you die. You know, if you get too close to God, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, because there's judgment, there's, there's, uh, there's rituals that you have to go through. That's all fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus said, if I, I knock at the door, if you hear me call and you open the door, I'll come in and I'll sit down to supper with you <laughs> because I want to be that close to you that you and I can sit down over a meal and converse over life. <laughs> you and I can be together in this and it's all good. And that life, <laughs> life is a meal. <laughs> life is a dinner with Jesus. <laughs> Always there. Never leaves us. You see, so you have Isaiah. He's a man of God but in, in a time period in which it was all about rituals. You have Stephen, and it's in a time period when it's Jesus and his forgiveness and his love, his death on the cross, his blood shed for our sin, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of him living in our hearts. And we have this in, in Revelation. Jesus says, I will come in and sit down to supper with you. Conquerors. Conquerors, conquerors, those are believers. Well, I'm not much of a, conquerors. When you sit with Jesus, you are a conqueror. When you sit with Jesus, you hear his word and you are a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. Paul's call, Paul calls it that. You are more than a conqueror. You're, you're, you have a greater ability to overcome than ever before. You are more than a conqueror. Jesus says, conquerors will sit alongside me at the head of the table, just as I have conquered and took the place of honor at the side of my Father. That's my gift to the conquerors. You will sit with me at my Father's table. <laughs> so here we are. We are going to sit with Jesus at the conqueror's table, right beside him, because we have allowed him to come into our heart and we've ate supper with him. <laughs> we've broken bread with him. We've taken communion with him. We hear his word and his word and his spirit speak to our heart and we have life in this life and for eternity. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>
Amen. So that was my that was my my thought, my inclination, my from last week I was thinking about, okay, let's look at well, we have the Old Testament, we have Isaiah. I said, what happens in India? I thought Stephen. Then I thought of us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. See how things change? But yet, from Stephen to the book of Revelation to us, they're the same. We are more than a conqueror because we sit with Jesus. Let's stand. (laughs) That's God's gift to us. (laughs) I'm more than a conqueror. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you have heard our prayers, and God, you know our thoughts and intents. You know, Lord, our life, and we come and we sit before you, Lord, in this, your temple. Lord, our life is your temple. This body is your temple. And God, we sit in your presence, wanting to hear your word and know your spirit, know that we are more than a conqueror in Christ. So, Lord, we ask your blessing We ask, O Lord, your divine favor. We ask, O Lord, for you to come into our hearts. Forgive us of every sin. Give us strength, O Lord, to overcome the difficulties. We cannot do this on our own. We need you. We need you, Lord, and we thank you that you will will hear and you will answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.